Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We want to talk this hour about the city of Detroit and its population. Is it realistic to expect many more people to live, raise families, or open businesses here in the city? Mayor Mike Duggan once said that he considered population growth the sole measure of his success. And next year's census is going to tell us officially whether the decades-long move away from Detroit en masse has come to an end. But even if population is again rising, there are still real barriers to overcome. Insurance rates, taxes, tuition if you don't send your kids to the public schools. It can be really hard to make the case to a family or a business or an individual to live or stay here in the city of Detroit. That's where we want to begin the conversation today. Do you live in the city of Detroit? Uh, do you think people should live in the city of Detroit? And do you think the city is doing enough to make itself attractive to all kinds of people who might want to live here? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today uh, and give us – we'll we'll try to work you into the conversation. We want to hear if you have lived or are living in Detroit. We want to hear about the barriers you see to living here. Uh, And would you consider moving here if you don't live in Detroit? If so, what kind of financial considerations do you think about? Uh, Do you see economic opportunity here in the city of Detroit? Joining us now to talk more about that specific question about economic opportunity here is Nyla Ellis-Brown. She is the founder of Ellis Island Tropical Tea. Nyla, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Sure. Also with us is Melinda Billingsley. She's a Detroiter who has considered moving away from the city. She joined us for a smart politics event in Gross Point recently and told her story about considering leaving Detroit due to lack of opportunity in the years after college. Melinda, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Yes. So, Naila, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you run a successful business that you built from the ground up right here in Detroit. Talk about the barriers you faced and continue to face here and why, despite them, you stay. Well, first of all, we are still growing. Um, Success in the making is what I consider myself. And we, it's just crazy because one of the biggest issues that I have is finding good help. And that is, I'm often told I'm singing to the choir when talking to other small businesses. And I don't know if that's necessarily just in Detroit, where small businesses have that issue uh, with finding good help. And on one hand, there's um, there's a high unemployment rate and there's tons of people looking for jobs. And then um, small businesses like myself, we come and provide opportunities. And then we have a hard time finding people that actually want to, want to work. Hmm. And so um, as far as um, just speaking on finance in Detroit, I just, I've always been one to, Detroit played a huge role in, in me becoming resilient, and every problem has a solution. And, yeah, I've got a family of four that I'm raising here. I've got two kids. Uh, my oldest daughter is five, and then I have an, uh, uh, an 11-month-old baby. We've been paying um, top dollar hmm. for early childhood education for my five-year-old 
and we are getting ready to transition her into the public school system. Um, DPS, I'm a little, I don't know how to feel about it. We're exploring, and uh, we're, we're going to give it a shot. And I just think that whatever problems are presented, you just you, you kind of make it work. And you that figure is the position that I've, I've taken. Yeah. 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 Uh, Melinda, uh, talk about what makes you consider sometimes whether you ought to leave Detroit. Um, so when it comes to opportunities, especially financial opportunities, um, something that uh, you just said was how you can't find workers for a small business. And something that I've seen is um, the case is not necessarily a problem of unemployment so much as underemployment of we have a lot of young people with these very expensive college degrees and there are job opportunities, but those won't go pay off student loan debt or they won't push you further in the career you're really looking for or what you're passionate about. It's just a job, not the one you want. So what we see, what I've seen in the Detroit area is there are many different jobs, but not what I went to school for, not what I have these specializations for. Like spend a lot of money on that education. I would like to actually get to use it. Um, so talk about other the, cities. So talk about how that how that actually looks. What is it that uh, that you're looking for in Detroit that you feel like you just can't find? So for me personally, I would be looking for a job in um, policy. I have a degree in political science and most of a master's in early childhood education. So I'd be looking for something that revolves around education policy, which we know is a speciality we need in Michigan. Mm. Like that's very obvious. Mm -hmm. But when I come to actually look for jobs, I see lots of jobs in healthcare. I see lots of jobs for things like working with the autos and, you know, certain areas, but not what I'd actually be looking for. And then like the job I have right now, I am not unemployed, but I am underemployed hmm. because I am a child care worker. But that's not really what I spent all that education for. Yeah. So so uh, if you were going to leave and try to find those opportunity else, opportunities elsewhere, where would you look? What, what are some cities that you feel like are doing it better than Detroit? I have been told no less than three times in the last week to move to Washington, D.C., just by random say, people. That seems an obvious choice, right? <laughs> um, but also those like really big, booming, growing places, um, places like uh, Austin and Houston and Texas, um, going, to, going back to Chicago where I went to school. Just those big cities that are seeing just growth in general and also especially growth in young people because there aren't just barriers to coming to Detroit. There's also a lack of like real big incentives. Hmm. So you see more of those incentives of being around people like like minded or people hmm. that are young and fun things are happening everywhere. Hmm. And that's not really the incentives you get in Detroit. Unless you're already from here and have an attachment. Hmm. Uh, Naila, uh, talk about what Melinda is, is saying there. It seems like there's kind of a gap here, right? You're looking for good people uh, to work for your business and having a hard time. She's looking for opportunities, not necessarily in your field, but uh, she's unable to find them. It sounds like there's kind of a disconnect maybe going on. Yeah, I would, uh, I would agree with that. And in my experience, um, and I'm mainly, so my, my production operation is in Midtown. So we've got Midtown and Downtown that have gotten a lot of attention and a lot of development. Um, there's been, Dan Gilbert has been doing a great job with hiring uh, millennials. I don't know 
with her field, though, um, I, I don't know much about the opportunities that she may have. Um, but it, and I'm in that in that crowd, the young millennial crowd that's thriving, and it's it's mid, midtown downtown. Uh, but my issue has been everybody wants to be an entrepreneur hmm. because of the fact that that is, for lack of better words, what is marketed as sexy. It's sexy to be an entrepreneur. No one wants to be to have a boss. No one. And so everybody's coming to Detroit to start businesses. And then when you look up, there's no there's a city full of chiefs and there's no Indians. Like who's going to be the workforce? <laughs> and that's been the discussion that I've been having lately with with um, all of the uh, small business owners that I know in the city. Hmm. It's, it's that everybody, everybody wants to be the boss. Everybody wants to be the entrepreneur. And it, it, you see the glitch and glam on social media. It looks cool, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that is entrepreneurship is one of the hardest. Yeah. To I was going to say it may look sexy from the outside, <laughs> but, uh, but it, once it's a lot doing of, it, yeah. like I've been doing what I do for 12 years and we're just now, um, on the brink of a, a big breakthrough. Hmm. But there hmm. was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that I had to dedicate for 12 years. And so that's been my experience. Um, just everybody wants to be, to start their own business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tell us if you live or have lived here in the city of Detroit, uh, what financial barriers do you see to living here or starting a business? And if you don't live in the city, tell us if you would consider moving here and what you would need to make that choice. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. No surprise, we've already got full phones here. Let's start with uh, let's start with Judy in Southfield. Judy, welcome to Detroit Hi. Today. Hi. Hi. I um, When I heard this, I'm like, I got to call in. I <laughs> lived at the Jeffersonian on East Jefferson for 12 years and literally was forced out last August due to the gentrification efforts down there. The mm. rent shot up, what, $500? That's not even including the a la carte, the parking and all that. It doubled in rate. And so I moved to Southfield. And there's a huge amount of seniors, and I'm 64, still working, you know, but there's a lot of us in that building and many other buildings that are market rate. I'm not talking senior buildings. We're right. saying, you know, decent rate. And we have been forced out, and we are a solid block of taxpayers for the city of Detroit that they're running out. Wow. And I think that's not looked at. It's not talked about. And it's just really frustrating because the last place I wanted to move after living there for 12 years was to Southfield. But my rent is lower. Um, and, I, you know, I just have to deal with it. Yeah. Uh, Judy, that's a that's a really very important uh, story to add to this conversation, this idea of whether you can afford to be in the city uh, of Detroit and and whether the things that are changing uh, about the city and changing fast uh, are maybe making it harder for people who've been here uh, to stay. Um, Melinda, uh, th that idea of, of leaving because it's too expensive is kind of different from what uh, you're facing, but the, the, the changes that are happening in the city, I think, 
uh, also have an effect on what you're talking about. Yeah, actually, um, I have seen this from the other side um, of a small business that I frequent a lot, Busted Bra Shop in Detroit, just recently moved out of Midtown because they were renting space in the Park Shelton and rent just shot up. And so they moved still in the city, but over to Jefferson Chalmers, which is clearly a very different neighborhood. Yes. yes. Lots of different like business that you would get there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Naila, uh, talk about the, the the ways in which you think about this from a family perspective. You said a little about the cost of education uh, and how much uh, you're having to pay for that. But I would imagine that there are other things as well that uh, you have to think about when you decide to stay here in the city. Mm-hmm. Well, the early childhood, um, I my daughter, my oldest daughter, we switched schools with her. She's been in school Montessori since 18 months. And every year we put her in a different school because it was just hard to find a good program. And so we finally found one. And like I said, we're paying top dollar. And now we're making the decision of do we transition? Because she's getting ready to go into kindergarten um, next year. And do we transition her over into DPS or do we keep paying top dollar? And so for me, I'm a DPS kid. And I, she's, we're looking at the school that I went to, Faith Academy, and they're still a great school, got a great reputation, um, great gifted and talented program, and we're exploring that route, and um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I can save a lot of money a month um, in putting her in DPS, but it's not we, – we always have to ask ourselves the question, me and my husband, um, if there was no such thing as money – like, let's completely take money off the table and then make the decision on what is the best education program for our child. Mm. And so the uh, Bates Academy has always been a great school. They've held on to the, their reputation all these years. I went there myself. I know it's a good school. So we're going to give it a shot. Um, but things as far as you mentioned um, car insurance earlier, that's tricky because it's extremely high in Detroit. And sure. so what we've done to survive has been buy cars in full. Like if I can't buy it in full and then get the the lowest coverage, then I'm not going to buy it because when you include a car note and insurance, you're easily eight hundred to a thousand dollars a month right. per vehicle. And right. so what we've done is drive sort of older cars and um, buy them in full, and then that way we can get the the lower coverage on them. Yeah. So decisions like that, that's kind of what we've had to do to survive here yeah yeah uh again uh, judy thanks very much for the call and the comments uh let's go to parker in detroit parker welcome to hey, Detroit. Steve, today. how you doing good how are you all right so i came back in 2008 uh originally i left there in 91 because of the crack plague and i ran to denver and was very successful to denver and i just felt like i needed to bring something back to the community and that mm-hmm. which i did because i i do sculptures within the community okay and um I won a couple grants and all the other stuff. My biggest issue here is the transportation and the insurance. I have a truck I cannot drive. And uh, when I got here, um, after a number of years, I came here with a, a gank of money. I failed because I, I became sick. And getting back up to that point where I was has been virtually impossible. Hmm. Um, Another issue that I have, I'm not in that midtown. I started out on the north end when there was no one there. And so now I'm on the east side near the city airport, and there is this, there it is two different worlds. Yes. Um, as far as dealing with the political people and the people that work downtown, 
most of them appear to me to be a lack of thinkers and not out of the box thinkers. Huh. You know, it just it seems like there's not a whole lot of array to kind of make me feel like I'm a part of the growth. I'm tired of looking at dead looking people walking around with no enthusiasm in their eyes to do oh, anything. No. Oh no, Parker. <laughs> so where are you thinking of going, Parker? And, and, and I won two tickets to go to the Namdi Gallery this past weekend sure. for a show. Yeah. And I don't like catching the bus. Yeah. I, I just don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I did that in my youth, and I don't want to catch two buses just to get to somewhere. Wow. And wow. that's my issue. Yeah, I Parker. Mean, I, I, I'm. I'm Parker, I really appreciate the call uh, and and the, the the sort of related experience there. I mean, uh, Melinda, uh, some of what he's saying, I, I sort of hear in in the things that you're saying about frustration about what it's like to be here, not just opportunity wise, but uh, but some of the some of the dynamics, I guess, that we deal with. Yeah, Parker, I just spent the last five years in Chicago, so I will talk to you about how much I hate Detroit public transportation. Yeah, yeah that's a big that's a big problem. And I think for younger people in particular, uh, the expectation is that cities will, will be easier to get around mm-hmm. uh, than it is here. Uh, again, Parker, thanks very much for the call uh, and, the, and the comments. Let's go to Joan in Detroit. Joan, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how are you? Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, so I live on the east side as well, and I'm president of my neighborhood association and on two nonprofit boards. And the lack of just basic city services and the follow-through is horrible. Huh. We have trash not picked up. I'll call the city manager's office. I'm told to call the contractor directly, even though it's an ongoing problem. Um, Streetlight failure, the whole water issue, the lack of infrastructure, we can't get people to move into our neighborhood um, that are middle class to working class with children because of the school systems. Um, there is dumping in front of abandoned land bank homes hmm. that the city will not pick up on the regular route. We have to call those in independently as well. So it really is a different world. Hmm. Uh, Joan, I think that's a really great uh, that's a really great point as well. I'm glad you made it. You're going to want to stay tuned to our next segment where we're going to talk specifically about what's going on in downtown and midtown and how it's sort of different than what is going on in uh, in other neighborhoods. Uh, but I think that that point is, uh, is really important in this conversation uh, as well. Uh, Naila, I, I want uh, to have you talk some about the opportunities that existed here for you uh, to be able to start the business that uh, that you own, uh, what were some of the things that that said to you, okay, this is the right place to do this? Well, I simply started my business here because I'm from here. I'm most comfortable here, and um, it I I know the most people here, and so starting something from scratch, this whole business was built off of trial and error. There's been no handouts in Detroit, and I think that played a huge role, like I mentioned earlier, in you being resilient. And so I I simply I did the trial and error thing. I went off to school. I lived in D.C. for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and um, I was used to driving. So D.C. is a is a public transportation type of city. Detroit is, I mean, you got to have your own car. And so I was used to just driving everywhere, not doing the public transportation thing. And so 
I was I grew frustrated in D.C. So came back here because uh, this is where I'm most comfortable. And there were a lot of with the two years I was gone in D.C., I came back and a lot of the businesses that were around that I was used to seeing were boarded up. So I looked at it as, OK, this is with all the businesses that are being closed down, that's an opportunity for new ones to come and open up. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, opened up shop here and the trial and error began. And um, it, it was like a land of opportunity when I came back. And so now it's everybody's fighting to get into that downtown, midtown <laughs> area. New center area is, is slowly being developed now. And you can't – it's a seller's market now. Yeah. Everything is an arm and a leg. Every piece of property, every – I'm just – I'm glad that I got in when I did. But it, it's by no means easy. It, it's it's very hard. But the reason I decided to to open up shop in Detroit is because I wanted to provide – job opportunities yeah. for Detroit natives. And then also um, I'm just, I'm most comfortable here because this is where I'm from. Yeah. Uh, Melinda, I've got about a minute left, but, but what would convince you to stay? What would have to happen for you to say, I'm not going to leave Detroit? Honestly, I think what Nyla just said was it's the place that you're comfortable and familiar with. And I think that is why I stay. And while I will probably stay because this is where my family is and this is my home, But the issue with Detroit is that does not convince new people to come here because no one else is comfortable with it. And everyone else has already has an image of Detroit as not a place you would ever want to be. Mm. So Mm. while we can rely on it for our young people, maybe sometimes it's not going to help grow the city, which is what we need. Yeah. Okay, Naila Ellis Brown, uh, founder of Ellis Island Tropical Tea. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. It was great to be on. Mm-hmm. And Melinda Billingsley, a Detroiter who is considering moving away from the city. I hope this conversation has maybe convinced you that uh, this is still a great place to be. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. Up next, we're going to continue this conversation with John Gallagher of the Detroit Free Press. He's going to talk about his reporting on how downtown Detroit taxes work and who is really paying them. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We're talking this hour about the city of Detroit and its population, whether that population will grow, can grow, whether Detroit can again be a place that uh, people are really clamoring uh, to live in and uh, that we have the things that we need uh, financially and economically to make this a thriving place. Uh, we want to hear from you this hour, of course, uh, about your experience with that. Are you living in the city of Detroit? Tell us why and where. Tell us what that experience is like. Uh, tell us about some of the challenges that you might have living in the city. Um, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313 577 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work uh, you into the conversation. So if you work in Detroit, there's a pretty good chance that it's inside the 7.2 square miles that make up the city's greater downtown. Although that area makes up only 5% of the city's land area, according to the Downtown Partnership, it's where 58% of all jobs in the city take place, making it the economic epicenter of the city 
in many ways. And when you look at Detroit as a whole, the development and investment that we've seen in downtown and midtown is, of course, unparalleled. So with all that activity, how much is the success of our downtown actually benefiting the rest of the city? Our next guest recently broke down some of the economic evidence we have coming out of the area. And in many ways, it seems to be operating in a bubble. That's where we want to continue the conversation. And here to talk about that issue is John Gallagher, a columnist for the Detroit Free Press. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, hi, Stephen. Thank you. Good yeah. morning. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about uh, taxes, which are the chief way in which uh, the investment in a place like downtown would benefit the rest of the city. Who's not paying taxes? There are several nonprofits in the area, of course, right, and full right. disclosure, full disclosure, Wayne State, uh, WDET is part of that. The, we're one of the non-taxpaying entities, but that is a big problem with this question of how you translate all of this investment that we see in downtown and midtown into things for neighborhoods. Right. Well, if we start with uh, property taxes, as you said, there's a huge amount of uh, of the land in downtown, midtown that's given over to uh, nonprofits, the universities, the hospitals, uh, the government buildings, churches. Uh, really, if you look at a map of the footprint of these entities, the medical center, Wayne State, it, it occupies a lot of, lot of ground. So they don't pay property taxes by, you know, they're tax exempt. Then there's probably more than 100 uh parcels in the greater downtown that have some kind of tax abatement, some kind of tax incentive mm-hmm. that they've benefited from. And then of those that do pay property tax in the immediate downtown, a lot of that gets captured under the tax increment financing plan where that money stays in the downtown and promotes the downtown. It, it, recently, it, it amounts to about $30 million a year. Uh, if, if not for that tax increment financing system, about $10 million of that would go to the schools, uh, a similar amount or a little bit less would go to Wayne County and then scattered amounts to Wayne County Community College and the Huron-Clinton Metro Parks and so on. So um, I think it's a good question to ask, you know, at least with property taxes, um, is it paying, is, is it benefiting the rest of the city? Yeah. Um, let's talk about corporate tax breaks, uh, which I think fall into a different category. And we see things like uh, LCA being built with lots and lots of uh, incentives, the other stadiums as well. Uh, that takes money out of, uh, out of the city's pockets as well. Yeah. Now, of course, if you talk to both the developers and the city officials, they would say, that the tax breaks are mainly giving them a break on future taxes that don't exist yet. So uh, you have a big vacant field where nothing's being paid or nominal amounts being paid. You build LCA, and so we'll give them a tax break, which makes it easier for them to pay pay for building it, uh, and and that that we will benefit eventually from from retail taxes, you know, sales taxes and income taxes. We'll just give them a break on on the property tax. Of course, nowadays uh, with a group like Amazon or some of the Dan Gilbert transformational tax credits the state approved, they're also getting a break on future income tax payments. Right. So so a lot of these are getting, uh, I won't say quite a free ride on taxes for the next 25 or 30 years, but a lot of it is, is pretty pretty generous. And, yeah. and, and the city, of course, would say, well, they won't be built without the tax credits. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's always that tension, I think, that exists between this idea of you know, the need for development, uh, the cost of development and the unwillingness of corporate actors to do it on their own. Uh, but in the end, uh, what that means is that this significant investment, this activity downtown can't translate 
to uh, city government being able to do more for people in, in neighborhoods. And so it makes a lot of sense when people get frustrated and upset that um, that this happens, that the, the, the benefits all go to uh, these, these corporate entities that, that are doing important things, no question, things that need to be done, but they aren't, uh, they aren't benefiting everybody. Right, and, and you have to believe in this, that this trade-off is worth it uh, to, buy, to buy the whole system, that, that it helps to have LCA downtown with you know, 250 or 300 events per year and lots of people coming in for visits and uh, makes for a livelier downtown. Well, you have to, and the city would say that justifies the tax breaks and you have to sort of buy, buy that, buy that trade off. And uh, I think it's, I don't think there's, a, there's an obvious answer, right or wrong, but I do think it's worth asking the question. Yeah. What about comparisons between Detroit and other cities who all have these same issues? Uh, but it always strikes me that other cities in, that exist in other states in particular have other tools to be able to raise revenue off of downtown activity. So, for example, when I go to Chicago, uh, I pay 8% tax or 12% tax, actually, if I buy something uh, in the loop because there's a local city income tax that piles on uh, the state – or I'm sorry, the sales tax that piles on the state uh, uh, sales tax. They have income taxes and, and capture fees and all these other kinds of things that help keep government more flush. How come we don't have any of those things here? Well, I think a lot of that goes back to the state and what the state will allow. Of course, cities are creatures of the state. And, you know, we have a a sort of very uh, liberal democratic city and a very conservative Republican state legislature for many, many years, uh, which has basically denied uh, Detroit the ability to do certain things. So uh, back when we had uh, um, uh, you, you had to live in the city if you worked for the city. Now those kind of laws are been gone for a long time. Um, red, you know, uh, state revenue sharing it's trending downward because the state is shortchanging not just Detroit but a lot of cities on revenue sharing. So I think a lot of that goes back to what the state is is allowing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Lee in Detroit. She's got a correction uh, from the previous <laughs> conversation we had. Lee, go ahead. Hey. Well, I own Busted Bra Shop. Thank you for um, taking my call. <laughs> and we did move out of the Park Shelton over to the corner of Jefferson Chalmers, which is a wonderful neighborhood. But we are also in New Center in the Cadillac Place building. Hmm. So um, we we have stayed at... Oh, Lee, I think we lost your, your connection there. But but I'm glad you oh. called. Oh, there you are. Go ahead. Hi. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have also... Yeah, I think you've got a bad connection. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna move on, but but I appreciate your calling and and making uh, making that point um, uh, that that you are still existing here in the in the sort of center of the city as well as out in uh, a neighborhood. Uh, John, I'm I'm curious, uh, given that call in the discussion before about the difficulty uh, staying in the 7.2 square miles of downtown and midtown now that things are getting crazy uh, what do city officials say about about that i mean uh, one of the things that happens when cities get popular is that rents rise uh, but then there's also a pressure to take care of people who have stuck with the city through through tougher times we hear that play out a lot here in downtown and midtown what is the uh, what's the attraction well the city of course has uh, created the uh, uh, affordable 
housing ordinance where if you get any help from a city to do a project, you have to have 20% affordable units in that building. Now, affordable does not mean low income. It, 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 you basically sort of a um, uh, working class kind of person can afford some of these units. We, the city has also tried to protect a lot of the uh, uh, government-subsidized senior units, of which there's a lot, at least a couple thousand units in the greater downtown where seniors living on nothing but Social Security are, are living. And as these come up for renewal, the city is trying to see if they can get the landlord to renew with the government and keep those as senior places. So I think the city, uh, Mayor Duggan, uh, you know, recognizes that this is an issue. Um, but, of course, he's also more concerned with the neighborhoods right now. He's, he's said publicly many times that, that downtown is at the point where it can take care of itself. He was recently uh, asked about the uh, Illich family and they're not building everything they said they were building uh, in the district. And he said, well, who cares? <laughs> uh, essentially, he said, I'm worried about the neighborhoods. Uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not worried about more high income housing downtown. Mm. So I think we recognize it's a problem, but prices are rising very, very rapidly. And uh, it's one reason why a lot of nonprofits like United Way have moved out of the office space downtown. Office rents have basically doubled mm. in the last 10 years. And what we're hearing about, uh, you know, Bedrock's Hudson site is that they're asking, you know, almost doubling again over existing rates. So, yeah, and, and Eastern Market, it's obviously a problem with rents going up in places like. Russell Street Deli moving out. So, yeah, I think that the, you know, you, you want new investment. You want prices to rise to some extent as, you know, as a homeowner. I'm happy when my, my home price is worth more <laughs> in Detroit. But um, on the other hand, it, it obviously creates a problem for those who are there and can't afford to stay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go back to the phones here. Lassa in Detroit. Welcome to the show. Yes, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. So I just had a couple comments. Um, my husband and I moved to Detroit about two years ago. Um, we bought a house online for $7,000 on, on the west side, uh, you know, wow. kind of in the hood. Um, <laughs> uh, we immediately uh, got pregnant, had a baby. And so he's almost two years old now, and we have found a wonderful daycare with Bright Horizons. Fantastic. Um, but we are concerned about, you know, in about two years, we're going to have to put him in school. And so we're really struggling with deciding on whether to stay here or not. Mm -hmm. um, just because of the quality of schools. And I know there's some charter schools. And luckily, I met an amazing mom group. There's a, you know, Facebook group, Detroit Mama Hub. And I've met amazing moms that have fantastic advice on how to get into charter schools, Montessori, and all that stuff. But it's just not... There's just not a lot of options, yeah. and so you know, starting a new family, we're just how long do we stay? How you know how much you know do we fight it out and wait for things to get better? Right? I mean, we pick up trash in our neighborhood ourselves constantly, and people are just constantly throwing yeah. garbage on the streets, and you know, it's just kind of concerning for for a new young family. So, yeah. anyway. uh, Lassa, oh, I, I, I really appreciate that perspective. I mean, I think that that is. A common experience uh, for people who move here uh, from other places that that, that things look and feel different here. Uh, the city is is still struggling with a lot of things that uh, are better or have gotten better in in other cities. Um, and of course, we hope you stay. We hope you you double down on that commitment and help move the city and your neighborhood uh, forward. But I completely understand uh, the pressure to make a different choice. Uh, John, before we break, um, talk about how, I mean, the mayor has said 
population growth is the way that he wants to be judged. Uh, when you hear accounts like losses, I think that that is the central tension uh, he faces is that it is still very hard to make the make the sell. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that uh, Lasser hit the nail on the head that schools remain the issue. I mean, the challenge. And it, it's it's odd that we've made progress on so many other things in Detroit, but schools still seem, the school test scores still seem to be low. And, uh, you know, Nick Vitti's getting some high marks and we'll see how he does. He's still relatively new in the job, but I think schools remain the challenge, especially for the young families. And, um, and so that's something, you know, we just have to keep working on. Yeah. Okay. John Gallagher, a business columnist with the Detroit Free Press. Uh, always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. All right. Up next, we're going to continue this conversation about the cost of living in Detroit with Anika Goss, who is the executive director of Detroit Future City. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. Jerry in Detroit, Ryan on the east side, Charlie in Detroit. We'll get to you next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the city of Detroit and its population. Is that population growing? Are we making the case to grow that population? What are the things that we should be doing to think of ways to attract more people to live or open businesses here in the city of Detroit? As always, we want to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tell us about your experience living here in the city of Detroit or not living in the city of Detroit. And if you aren't, tell us what would have to happen to convince you to move into Detroit. Uh, We want to talk a little more about the cost of living in Detroit and how we kind of make that a little more uh, appealing to people. Uh, And my next guest is someone who's thought a lot about that question. Anika Goss is the executive director of Detroit Future City. They had a recent report that looked at the existence and the struggles of the black middle class here in the city of Detroit. Anika, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thank you it's for always, having me, It's always Steven. great to have you here. Yeah. So uh, talk about the things that, that you guys have learned are keeping people yeah. from moving to Detroit or from staying in Detroit. Well, thank you for mentioning um, the growing uh, Detroit's African-American middle class uh, report uh, because we really feel like that was a really important Uh, turn for all of us. Mm -hmm. And as part of that report, we uh, actually uh, had several focus groups around the city and we talked to um, almost 100 uh, Detroiters and suburbanites about um, living that that very same question, what would it require for you to live in Detroit? And, you know, they you could have guessed what their answers would be. Um, Insurance, safety, uh, being able to walk around their neighborhood, the schools. Um, but what it really boiled down to was, and I think what struck what struck us at, at Detroit Future City was this idea of Detroit not being an affordable city. And what does that and 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 really focusing on on that piece alone. 
And it's not the low cost of housing mm-hmm. or the low cost of groceries or anything, any other kinds of retail services. It's really all of the other cost of living issues that pile on that makes Detroit unaffordable. Yeah. Insurance, taxes, the fact that uh the school the schools are uneven across the city so you might have to pay for private school um those things are really keeping detroiters from making detroit's best neighborhoods places where middle class families want to live yeah yeah um what are some of the reasons that people might move to detroit yeah. to live or start a business are we doing better with Again, that sell, that package that you might uh, sort of go to someone and say, here's why you, you, you want to live here. Well, I think that, um, it, funny enough, from those focus groups, we asked them that too. Uh, well, what, you know, if you could, what would, what would make you move here? And they overwhelmingly said if they could move to Detroit, they would. So the momentum that's happening, Detroit is an exciting place to be right now. Mm-hmm. Every week there's something new happening, new restaurants, foods, the sports and entertainment events. They want to be a part of that excitement. They want to be they want to live closer to the sun, <laughs> as if you will. And um, they but it, it feels inaccessible. So like the, the trade off is too high. And I think that's where we need to focus. So I think that we are we are headed in the right direction. But we really as a city and it's not just city with a capital C. I think that uh, how we organize resources, how we work together uh, with our public school partners and think about how we actually change our neighborhoods has to be a part of that strategy. That we can't just look at the 7.2 as uh, the the magnet for all of the resources, but we really have to think think much more broadly about how our neighborhoods are going to change mm-hmm. to be able to attract and stabilize families to live in those places. Yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Jerry in Detroit. Jerry, welcome. Uh, good morning, Stephen. Hey, Jerry, how are you? I'm doing very well. Yeah, go ahead. So, yes, uh, a part of my comment is a, a summarization of some things you were saying because I was listening to your show this morning, <laughs> and that is that that I believe that the like in an org chart, but where the where the main box is in the center. The center of all of these issues, transportation, development, uh, schools, is uh, tax money. And it's and you've touched on both, the collection of ca- tax money mm-hmm. and the redistribution of that tax money. And, and in all of those, uh, it becomes the prominent issue of all of the peripheral. It's the prominent issue of schools. It's the prominent issue of the neighborhoods. It's the prominent issue of, of everything development. But in this city, it is incredibly, unequitably collected and incredibly unequitably distributed. Mm. So the schools are not going to be the beneficiary of this development. The developer is going to be the beneficiary of the development, both right. on, on the tax payment side uh, you know, and, uh, and the cost side. Uh, we're going to buy, we're going to help him build this stadium, in that case, in the case of the stadium, we are going to capture money from the school system. It is, in turn, supposedly going to provide these jobs. 
and it's at a city council meeting at one point, I asked them, uh, don't you uh, have to do jobs when you build schools? Doesn't that take cranes? Doesn't yeah. that take work? Um, you know, and, and in that case, is not the money being collected from the residents redistributed in a, in a, in, in a resource that goes directly to them? Um, in that kind of economic equation. Yeah, no, Jerry, I think that's a really great point. I mean, the, the way that we've set things up so that it's almost impossible to make all of this activity and interest and investment that's going on in the 7.2 actually help uh, the rest of the city. I mean, that I, I feel like that's a barrier to selling people uh, to moving here. Right. That, uh, you know, we're not even organized to be able to shift the investment. It, some of it is actually creating the right tools um, so that the, in, the, the investment that we're making in, um, and, and the, the subsidies that we're giving for the investment mm-hmm. um, can actually benefit places that need it. And there have been, there are other cities that do that much, much better than we do. Mm. Um, so it's not something that's like, we like to say, oh, we can't do it here. We're so special in Detroit, but in other cities in Chicago, they have been able, they think about community benefits very differently where they actually use some, they actually have legislation that uses some of that economic um, benefit, so the subsidy that corporations receive when they're making a bigger investment can actually go into uh, lower investment, lower invested neighborhoods. You can set up tools for that. Or in Pennsylvania, where they set up economic development tax credits, which allow for corporations to use their double tax to actually invest in um, lower income communities Mm -hmm. in, in cities in Pennsylvania. There's no reason why we can't do that here. We have the infrastructure for that in Michigan. We just be, need to get organized for how we use the tools that we actually have to make those and, investments. And decide to do it, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, uh, Jerry, again, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Andrew in Detroit. Andrew, oh, hi. what's on your mind? I uh, just started a uh, small business. I've got, I'm the only employee, and I've got like four other people I'm working with on a contract basis. And we're really interested in promoting uh, local economic activity, very, very localized. And what I mean by that is uh, creating a minimum job of $15 an hour and then that $20 an hour job and $25 an hour job. All the struggles that I'm, you know, health care and sick time and benefits. Just wondering how that plays into this larger question you're asking. What your panel thinks of that? Yeah, uh, thank you, Andrew, for the for the call and the question. I mean, this this idea of survivability, I guess, affordability, uh, plays into the attractiveness of of the city. If you can't move here and get a job that will allow you to. Mm-hmm maintain a home and get around, then uh, then you would, might choose someplace else. Well, I like the way this, uh, without knowing what this economic development small business uh, uh, organization does, um, I do like the way they're thinking about an escalated uh, pay scale, mm-hmm. because that's really what it's going to require in order to move people from poverty. $15 an hour, I'm going to say it on the, t- on 
on Detroit today, Stephen. <laughs> $15 an hour is not enough for a family to That's live That's not a living wage. It's not. And um, and we're having a hard time convincing people to pay <sighs> even that. I know. I know it. And it's hard from the business side. It's hard um, to, you know, go beyond that. And we, I think there are businesses are, are beginning to think, rethink that because they want to be able to maintain employees and they want to be able to grow strong, um, a strong staff base. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have to have this escalated scale. And so I know there are a lot of people that are really thinking about that. I'm glad that even if it's a small organization, they're really thinking about how we actually pay people. Yeah. I've got about a minute left, but I want to get you to react to the new auto insurance law. Yeah. Um, is this a step forward in the direction that Detroit Future City is saying, you know, we need to go in, in terms of, uh, I guess, eliminating some of these barriers? Yeah. Good gracious. I hope so. I'm a <laughs> resident myself. Yeah, right. We're all looking forward yeah. to that new bill, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, I just paid my insurance bill. It was still really high. But, um, you know, insurance, when we had our focus groups, insurance was, now this I actually was surprised about, more than anything else, more than crime, more than schools, more than getting a job and working in Detroit, insurance was the number one yeah. barrier to living in Detroit. This is this isn't this is not like something that Detroiters are making up and whining about. This is really keeping us from growing economically as a city. So if we can move in this direction and continue to refine it, continue to make sure that this policy works for everyone, I, I we are strongly in support of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think looking at it as a step is yeah. is kind of the key there. That it doesn't fix all the problems, but it fixes maybe a, a couple of them. Exactly. And that's a that's a great start. Okay, Anika Goss, executive director of Detroit Future City. It's always great to have you here with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks Stephen. for coming in. Okay. All right, uh, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. You're going to want to tune in. We're going to have Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha, the physician who uncovered elevated blood levels in Flint kids during that city's water crisis, with us. We're going to kick off this year's WDET book club with her. We are reading her book, What the Eyes Don't See. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.